Imagine having the life of your dreams. Not temporary cash and glory, but happiness and inner peace. Explore new ways to be a creator and take your own journey into greatness. Is it possible? What does it take to make that happen? It takes the person known for extreme results. He's called the cage breaker and the ultimate catalyst. Coming back from the brink of death and now crushing it for himself and his clients, this is your Ultimate Life Podcast with Kellen Flukiger. Hello and welcome today to today's episode of Your Ultimate Life, the podcast dedicated to helping you create a life, a purpose, prosperity, and joy by serving with your divine gifts. I'm grateful today to have as a special guest, Robert Plank. Robert, welcome to the show. Happy to be here, man. I'm happy to have you. And so the first thing I want to ask you right out of the box is, Robert, I want you to tell the listeners how you add good to the world. I add good to the world by running people's podcasts, by getting their messages out there. So that way they don't have to do all the minutiae, the production, the marketing. I say, you have things to say, we process it, and we put it out into the world and the internet. So that's a fabulous thing. What made you decide that being a vehicle or a vessel to help people share their messages. What made you decide that that was something that appealed to you? I'm not sure if I did decide. It might have just been part of a journey. I started as a computer programmer, which led to creating software products. And it was probably around that point that I realized that you can geek out all day about database tables and functions and objects. But what really matters is people using what you've created and using what you've created to solve a problem and and have a solution and and get their get get whatever they need finished and the uh, the software led to courses because I would say well there's this software that sometimes I would, I would teach someone else's software or make my own software but then the software on its own you need to know how to use it and what to do with it and do interesting things with it. And so then we created uh, courses, classes with the software bundled, and, and you enjoy have been students of those. And then that has then graduated into these more done for you services where I say, instead of you having to either try doing it yourself or try learning it and then doing it yourself, then my, me and my team will do it for you. So you can just focus on your passion, do what you love, speak your message, and then we do all of the dirty work for you. So I love that. And yes, we did meet you probably 10 years ago now and did participate, I think, for a, a good period of time in one of yours, your programs. And that was wonderful. So when you look in your heart, like the drivers, we all have to make money and do that, you know, that sort of thing. But when you look in your heart at the drivers that make you want to share messages and help people do stuff. Uh, what do you what do you find there as your drivers? I would say I get frustrated when I see the overcomplication, and I when I see like you know we we have all these tools at our disposal, right? We've got a uh, got an iPhone, we've got YouTube, we've got ChatGPT, we've got WordPress. There's all these things that are are we try our best to make it as simple as possible. 
but it's still not very simple. Like whenever I help my mom with her with her iPhone and Google Photos and typing in a password and the thumbprint, it's still not easy, even in, in this day and age. And so I get frustrated when you see somewhat when you see software or a solution that's supposed to be simple, but it's still not quite there yet. And then you see someone trying to teach it and they say, well, here's my my 25 step webinar process, or here's my 100 part plan on how to make an online business. So I get frustrated where it, the simplicity is is not quite there yet. And I say, well, I, I want to bridge the gap and make it where uh, it's it's easy and where you can you can get things done and have fun doing it. That's fabulous. I know um, you have recently had a, a kid added to your life, and that's a wonderful and beautiful addition. How has having that new life that you're responsible for changed your view of the world? How has it changed my view of the world? It's been interesting to see my son's problem solving and to see him discover things for the first time and, and communicate. And when he has the, the frustration when he's trying to tell us something or, or we can't quite uh, communicate back. So there's that aspect of it, of like the, the, the newness and the growth. And then I've also had to come to terms with the, the limitation of time every day, where when you, and we all, we all take it for granted, right? When you're in your 20s, 30s, you have way more time than you even think that you have. And then as you get older and you pile on all these responsibilities, you have less and less time. And I mean, you probably know this better than anyone, Kellen, with, with having 10 kids, right? The, <laughs> the, the longer you, you go up in the years, you just have less and less time. And in a couple of different ways in that I didn't want to have to live a whole life in front of a computer screen and not see my son. But then, but then also didn't want the opposite of that as well, right? Of spending all this great time with my son and then not being able to build a business and, and change lives and make money and actually like uh, amount to something. So there's kind of that that juggling uh, aspect of it. And so the the thing I was forced to do with my son being born was to delegate, to outsource, to get a team and to plug in to some of these uh, different systems like Slack and Asana. So that way early on when I was holding him and and doing the bottle, bottle feeding when literally you can't do anything else, right? When you're like literally holding a, a human blob and I would sometimes take out my phone and type a quick message to someone and get some task in process where when I was in my 20s, I would say, oh, let me work on this for 90 minutes. But when I'm holding a baby, I only have 20 seconds to send a message. So it was kind of uh, forcing myself to work smarter instead of harder and be more deliberate about the time management and the tools I was using. That way I could have my cake and eat it too. That way I could enjoy these, these early times, which will never come again, but then also still be productive and be fulfilled in all those other things. So there's a very practical example of being forced to be more productive by changes in circumstance. Um, what emotional thing has happened to you as you hold the baby the human blob and you're feeding him like there's got to be and we didn't talk about this ahead of time but you have the desire and success at creating productivity and message spreading for others by using these tools but at the same time because you've chosen to have these experiences that will never come again 
something changes inside of Robert too. Talk about that a little bit. I would say that having to be responsible, having to be a, a human being, and knowing that you you know you can't screw up, you can't drop a baby even once, right? You can't forget him somewhere even once. And so I, I made I had just had I don't even know what if it clicked all at once, but just this this idea of being a a responsible person and just and by that meaning you know waking up and and getting to things and uh just kind of like fulfilling my duties and then there's kind of the the shift in perspective of and what you and i were talking about this uh, a moment ago before the call started is just like you can choose to be unhappy and stressed out or you can choose to be happy and grateful and all the changing diapers cleaning pee and poop and changing bedding changing clothes there's two ways to look at it right you can look at it as oh i have to do all this labor all this work or you can look at it as i'm i'm glad that i that i can do this right i'm glad that i get to have this experience and and help out this little human being because someone else helped me so it's it's been uh, it's been really transformative and then the the unexpected transformation there ha- has been the uh that I, I i will never love my my parents enough right and and that that no one ever told me about this we're like i love my uh my my son so much but my 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 dad's dead and my mom's still alive and like i love them but not as much as i love my son and i didn't realize until that happened was that there's the the love for the next generation is huge and then the love for the past generation it's there but it's not as huge as as that towards towards your children if that makes sense it, it does make sense <clears throat> and as a programmer building tools uh you built practical things that allowed people to do stuff when you look at your son you know the the beauty of the humanness is that it's a system just like software and other things but then it has that wild element of unpredictability that only a humanness can have and i'm wondering if that ever and maybe you didn't do it at all but presented a frustration because software you can go and troubleshoot and you can find the problem and you can't do that with the kid all the time you can guess and you can try different things how did that happen what happened to the change in the sort of unpredictability of humanness versus building systems and software. Well, I mean, there there's even unpredictability in software, right? There there is debugging, and there is sometimes things can go wrong and, and error checking. And the way that it sits in my head, and th- this probably only happened maybe two and a half years ago. I've started to think, as far as any sort of problem solving or like anticipating the, f- the unexpected behavior is. Like there's four, there's always four quadrants in my head. And so I think, well, what can I break down these four quadrants to? And like in a, you know, in a motivational kind of Tony Robbins aspect, there's the, you know, certainty and variety and then love and significance, right? And so you figure, well, certainty is maybe, maybe 80% of what you expect, but then there's some amount of uncertainty that's just at play and part of the equation there. And then sometimes when I'm like working on a problem or trying to break down a problem into smaller pieces. Like in this case, we're talking about the the unpredictability of a, of a kid. I think, well, 
the four quadrants for me are there's the there's the presence which is kind of most of it what am i presently doing and then there's the the past which is kind of like what um what past data am i looking at to to speak to the future or speak to the present but right, let me start over there's the present and there's the past there's the future and then there's kind of the the magic and the catch-all right so when dealing in a logical sense with this baby raising there's the present and what am i doing right now there's the past and what has his behavior been and what can i expect like does he wake up at this time does he get fed at that time and then there's the future like what are we going to do later in the day and then there's that bucket of kind of the the catch-all and a little minutia and and things that might just happen right he might he might pee his pants might be something unexpected right in there so i think well unpredictability is part of it it's not all of it but it's just one of the the four buckets in those quadrants that sit in my mind these days when you look at um that unpredictability just sparked a thought you know we have this chat gpt explosion and people talking about it and now they're selling courses already on it and i saw a course the other day on prompt engineering you know somebody was selling a course on prompt engineering to more effectively use the ai stuff when you look at both the struggles that are going on in the world you know the economy and inflation and war and all of the divisiveness of politics and all the rest and then you look at the the other side of things that are developing uh, do you feel hopeful about the future and if you do why i do feel hopeful the the i guess the, the number one concrete reason to feel, feel hopeful out there is the like the world's poverty percentage when the, when you say is is the is the present better than the past right is that are the 2020s better than the 1970s what they say is they look at the entire population 8 billion people and they say how many are living in poverty how many are poor how many are starving and the answer is about 1 billion but the answer to that was also 1 billion in 1970. so when you had two or three billion people out of that 1 billion were in poverty and now that you have 8 billion people 1 billion are still in poverty so it's not hunky-dory it's not 100 percent but the the percentage has shrunk quite a bit and sure there are things to be concerned about climate change nuclear war things like that but we ha also have a lot better of uh, communication and we we don't have any any more of these crazy wars right back when you had uh you know world war ii and and all all kinds of just like countries taking over each other you hope that in general it's a lot more civilized and then people like you and me, Helen, would say, well, you look at it through the lens of what can you control and, and what can't you? If there's going to be a, a nuclear war tomorrow, is there really anything you and I can do about it? Well, no. So then it, it should not affect you. And then the other uh, psychology to be mindful of is that some people like the, the doom and gloom, right? Some people uh, kind of find comfort in that because if anything can happen in the future good or bad the the unknown there is scary but if you say aha i know that the the world will end and i know which country will do it then you kind of have a little bit of security and you know that you're right and then there's the the psychology there of the the persecution complex 
And then you get to be the one to spread the news and be be the one to foretell the future. So when you kind of look at all of those psychological ingredients, you think, well, am I if I'm a person that that clings to the doom and gloom, am I doing it because in a sick way I like it? And also, does it serve me? Does being negative and thinking the world will end, does that help grow my business? Does that help make money? Does that and 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 also has the world ended yet? And how many times over this year and this year, like it seems like again and again, every couple of years, there's <laughs> someone else has some huge message like, oh, the, the next the next big apocalypse is about to happen. And guess what? It doesn't happen. So there's a lot, there's a lot there, but those that's what um my my logic process there is as far as sure there there's always a, a danger nothing is certain uh but it's it's really tempting to fall into the news hole and not get anything done and then get dr slowly drawn into the the pessimistic negativity and why do that to yourself it, it doesn't help anyone I, I love that and i want to talk about optimism and pessimism some people view optimistic people as kind of silly and not being realistic, but it seems like you're saying, and you're actually on firm ground. There's a book by Dr. Martin Seligman called Learned Optimism, and he did a big, long 20-year study about how beneficial it is. But you seem to me to be optimistic by nature. Is that true? I wouldn't say it's true. I say it, it does not come naturally. Uh, my, my mother is a workaholic. And in school, she she pushed me to she said, you know, you got you got a B. Why didn't you get an A or uh, do all these assignments or join all these classes? And, you know, she had the best of intention. And then uh, my dad was always sick. Uh, my dad died when he was 59 and he had all kinds of just health problems since he was born his, his entire life. So he always uh, was on you know blood thinners, painkillers. And so he was always he was physically unhappy. And he couldn't work, and he he, he um, sat at home and had his little hobbies. And as a kid, I thought, man, he he has it made. He doesn't have to go to work, doesn't have to go to school. He has a he gets a little bit of a like a disability payment, gets to tinker with CB radios. And, but he was so unhappy. And if the 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 slightest thing happened, then in his in his day, then he would just be so so ungrateful and just so mad. And uh, so it did not. And and also the. The circle of friends I always found myself in growing up were kind of negative as well. So it, I felt like I had to dig myself out of quite a bit of the mud. And even just about every day, I feel like I have to like consciously put forth an effort to be optimistic. And as far as you said there, there's like the there's the the thought process of, well, if I'm optimistic, am I delusional? Am I not living in reality? And I think it, it's not all or nothing. I think you can be maybe maybe 20% removed from reality, right? 20% optimistic, uh, but I'd rather be 20% too optimistic than 20% too pessimistic. I, I love that. And thank you for saying, no, it's not learned and telling me that little bit of story because nobody ever falls up the mountain, right? You, you don't fall up there. And where you are, as you and I've talked both before and now, uh, in, in these last several conversations, you, you present as a positive, optimistic force. I'm sure when you talk about spreading people's messages and the podcast work you do, you help them see the opportunity they have to have an impact and to put their messages in different places and to 
relieve the work and the uncertainty and the burden of doing the work. So what you're saying is you've learned to be optimistic. I have it. And I, I still learn every day. And I realize that if I, if I let off the gas pedal, then I might backslide. And, and, I, and I have gone, I mean, you and I have both gone through periods where we kind of have those, those down weeks or those down months where we kind of, uh, you know, just it, it, it's a slippery slope. And next thing you know, you're laying in bed and you close all the, all the shades and you're thinking, and you're sleeping in, you're thinking, oh, home for me. So I think that it has been learned. And I know that it's a, it's going to be a lifelong effort on my part to remain at that level of optimism and maybe even increase a little bit. But if you just say, you know, I don't need any more self-help, motivation, anything like that. I don't need to read any more on that subject. Then that's at your detriment because you can easily fall back into those old habits. So I love that. You've just said some really important things that I want to emphasize. And then maybe you can talk a little bit more about a daily practice, learned optimism, a choice to invigorate yourself on purpose every day, not because somebody's going to make you, not because, uh, just because you choose to, because you see that it is good for you. So when you do have days of figuratively or literally hiding under the covers and the shades, although with a little kid, that's not really an option anymore. Um, right? Because you can't even do that once, as you mentioned earlier. Do you find yourself happier when you choose, when you do the work and choose an optimistic outlook and process? I, I do. And so there, there's something that I just came across uh, maybe two days ago and something else I came across maybe four years ago. So the thing from four years ago was that there is there's discipline and motivation, right? And people, and I mean, I'm sure you've heard this one where people think that they need motivation first, and then that will lead to the discipline of getting work done, making the phone calls, whatever it needs to be done, right? They think they need motivation and then discipline, but then it's sort of the opposite. And and many times you have, you say, I'm not motivated, but I'm going to start my tasks anyway. And then, and then maybe I'll just sit down and do, do five minutes or 20 minutes of writing that sales page, writing those emails, editing those podcasts, whatever, and then 20 minutes into your work session, then the motivation will come. And it's it's counterintuitive. And just that thought alone has kind of gotten me to get up and do it anyway. And it's just say that it's not like I'm having to uh, to like, you know, build a house with my bare hands. I'm I'm sitting at a computer. What what's the physical exertion there? So many times if I'm if I'm having one of those down days, which admittedly is not as often as, as it, it used to be, still does happen, but I just say, you know, even if I'm not motivated, let me just give myself that reminder and sit down, get it done, and the motivation will come later. And the motivation is not a requirement for starting. And then the the new information that came to me maybe two days ago was that uh, people like there's the there's the reward dopamine feeling of completion and many people think okay I'll I'll do this task and at the end of the task that is when I'll get my uh my reward that's when I'll, I'll be I'll finally be happy right I'll, I'll do this task I'll get it done I'll be happy at the end and uh what I was reading here was they were saying well break down your tasks into smaller chunks we've we've all heard that but the reason for doing that is so that way you get the reward along the way. So that way you're not just 
grinding it out, being unhappy. Finally, I and finally I, I wrote my I spent two hours writing my book. And then they say, well, no, reward yourself for writing half a page. Reward yourself for writing half a more page. And so then the result is that you are not overwhelmed. You don't bite off more than you can chew. And you're happy all along the way instead of unhappy, unhappy, and then happy at the very end. So just it's, it's sort of abstract, but I found both of those two ideas interesting that uh, discipline comes before motivation. And if you break down your tasks, then you can reward yourself throughout instead of at the end. Those are both very true and powerful suggestions that I would absolutely endorse and recommend. <clears throat> discipline, uh, one definition I heard of discipline that was kind of fun was discipline is just reminding yourself what's important. I and so, that. yeah, I do too. I love that saying. You know, nobody makes us. I mean, one of the things about growing up is you, you know, you, me, we can do nothing. And then we reap the reward of doing nothing. And that is a self-reinforcing thing, too. We do nothing. Nothing happens. We feel mad. Then we do nothing. Then we feel bad. Then we do nothing. You know, that's a spiral. And the other one is just the same. Do it anyway. And you do get motivation. It does. I've sat down. I can't tell you how many times to do some of the same work that you talk about. Edit a podcast or write something or work in the studio on music. I'm pointing that way because it's over there. And then oh, I don't want to start. And then after you start, it's like, oh, this is good. I'm glad I'm doing this. And so it does. And that small task, it is so much easier to do a little thing than a big thing. And if you know you're just going to do a little thing, then you can go do that little thing. And then it's like, oh, that's done. What else can I do? And it feels like that inside of you. So I love those. I love those two thoughts. It, it's, an addiction, it, it's an addiction in a good way. People think about addiction like, like drugs or unhealthy behaviors, but why not tune that towards something good, something positive? You're just exactly right. And you, it, addiction has the stigma, but if you habituate positive outcomes by completion, then, then that's uh, a, a, a positive and powerful force. So now I'm going to ask you a funny, maybe funny question. I don't know. What is the most important thing you've learned about business from your little one? Ooh, from, from my little one. What's the most important thing? Caring for him, being around him. I don't care how you think of it, but just in having that addition to your life, how has that improved your business, your marketing, your service, some way that you're like, wow, what a cool thing. Uh, probably attention and persistence. As you know, if you take your eyes off of a, a little one for 10 seconds, he's off sticking his hand in the toilet, right? He's he's off trying to turn the doorknob, trying to run outside. And so he, he's been an important reminder where I, I need to know where he is at all times, because if the house is too quiet, then that's uh, that's in the danger zone. And so in, in business, there's been there's been a lot, especially the especially since he was born. Uh, me, uh, my, my wife works from home too. We've both accumulated a lot of clients, right? My, my wife has audiobook narration clients, and I have these podcasting clients. And there's a lot of moving parts with with a with a podcast, right? Uh, maybe someone on my team is editing ten episodes. Maybe they're making social graphics. Maybe they can't log into Instagram. Maybe the podcast show notes aren't just right. There's so many things that could go wrong, and a lot of things do go wrong. 
uh, and that's maybe there's some, something in there too about the parenting, but in general, the most important thing has been to stay in contact with these clients. And if mistakes are made, if we're behind on deadlines, or if we're just in progress, it, it helps just to have just to stay in communication. And and you and I and every adult has dealt with the frustration of just not knowing what's going on, of just saying, is this in progress? Why is this person ignoring me? And in, in any situation, even if someone has completely dropped the ball, or even if someone is late on something, it's just, just tell me what's going on. Just, just ping me really quick and tell me, well, will this be done by Wednesday? Or will you have an update for me by Friday? Or did you just do 10 minutes of it today? Just, just tell me something. And so that's been the the aha with him now that you mention it. It's just, uh, even if things are a complete disaster, imperfect, at least where's the baby, so to speak, as far as the project is concerned. Because when um, my baby, my son was born during the pandemic and then me and the wife work from home. So we're at home a lot and we're around him a lot. And we enrolled him in, in daycare last year just for like, the the socializing right so that way he could get some friends in the daycares like just right across the street here but when we dropped him off at that daycare and we came home and the house was quiet and it was just me and my wife and not him it was really bizarre because i was i was used to in my mind almost having like a a dot on a map thinking as far as the gps <laughs> like okay in my mind he's upstairs or he's off in the car or he's off at grandma's but then me and the wife, usually one of the two of us would be with him. And so me and my wife were just sitting on the couch, just us. And we were like, this is bizarre because I guess I, I the theoretically, I know he's across the street at daycare, but I don't know if he's upstairs, downstairs, getting into trouble. And so, but, and so it's like, I, I constantly know, like, I know he's downstairs in some other room right now. Uh, and so, so yeah, when, when dealing with anyone, uh, just stay in contact. That's, that's huge. It's so underrated. I love that. And that is a super powerful thing. I want people to be able to find you both your audiobook narration for your wife. You can mention that also. And the podcast services you offer, because obviously, well, maybe not obviously lots of people. I have a huge podcast. I have another one. I have two or 300 episodes on and I've just stopped working on it just because there's too many things to do. But people need the services that you offer, both of you. So how can people find you? What would be the best way to get in contact with you or her to find out about your podcast production services or her narration? The, the So the best way to get in, in contact, my email is robert.plank at gmail.com. I'm big on LinkedIn these days. So search Robert Plank on LinkedIn and message me there. My podcast is marketeroftheday.com. And you've been on it. You're one of the upcoming uh, episodes. My wife's business is dfynarration.com and what that is is if you have a, a book out there on amazon you need to also be on audible and on uh, apple books and so what she can do is narrate your book and read the words aloud and then now you can plug into this whole universe of listeners all these people who are busy in a good way right they're at the gym they're walking they're driving they don't have time to read so many books but they do have time to listen to you in their ear just like how they have time to listen to podcasts so dfynarration.com is her audiobook service and then my service is dfypodcast.com and the the dream for me for you as a dfy podcast client is you send me 
your content. We set you up in a special chat room and you send your Zoom recordings, you send your iPhone recordings, and we turn it into a podcast for you, which means that we uh, we write these things called show notes. So that way, when someone co comes to your website, they see your video or your audio recording, and there's this list of the bio of your guest. There's a list of special timestamps and links you mentioned and, th and things like that. And we post on all your social media channels. We get it on all the podcast channels. Because as you know, Callan, there's so many moving parts to a, a, a podcast. You have to follow up with your guests. You have to make social media graphics. You have to send all these emails or reminders. There's You can literally spend all day and not even scratch the surface with all the things that could be done with your podcast. Sure, recording the content is the, the meat of it. But then actually getting it out there and getting people to see it, that's a whole other ballgame. So dfypodcast.com is the service where you give us your content interviews or whatever. We get it on your podcast channels, your website, and your social media channels. But my podcast is marketeroftheday.com. Thank you for that. Thank you for providing us all this goodness and telling us how you add good to the world. you have a final thought as we end here? Your final thought... Uh, as you, know, you and I were having these kind of psychological conversations, basically self-help 101, that every, whenever I talk to some kind of self-help motivational person, it always comes back to this. It comes back to you and I are evolved from Neanderthals, right? We're evolved from, from cavemen people. And when you live in a cave and you live in the year 1 million BC, then your only focus is survival. And the only thing that matters is hiding in the cave, hiding away from the rain and from the tiger, and maybe running out for a second to grab a, a banana off a tree or something and have some food, but then run back into your safe place. And that's the feeling that you get when you hesitate, when you procrastinate, when you are fearful, when you have all this self-doubt. That's the caveman brain talking. But we don't live in caveman times anymore. And now we're in this awkward phase of having to override this old software. And that's where all this self-help motivation, uh, abstraction, business, and everything uh, comes into play, where we're having to kind of work that that brain muscle. And you know, our, our brains are out-of-date software. And so that's why we have to have the positivity and the podcasts and the discussions like you and I are having and always be reading to kind of use this old clunky out of date machine called our brain to do new and interesting things like write the books and make music and do the speaking. And so that's that's what I consider self-help 101, that we have this caveman brain that needs to be overridden. And if you have anxiety, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It just means that you need this outside help in the form of mentors, coaches, education to override that caveman brain. I love it. And that is a learned behavior as well. I want you to take the opportunity to listen to this a couple of times. Robert's given us some really good stuff. And dfypodcast.com and dfy audiobook. Narration. dfynarration.com. dfynarration.com. Hey, if you need those things, check them out. I know this guy. I love this guy. He's good stuff. And I can tell you that if you take a good listen here and apply these things and get away from the fear, you can get down the road to create your ultimate life. Open your heart in this time around.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope that you take it deeply into your heart and decide for yourself how you can create anything you desire. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback and topic suggestions. Until tomorrow, this is Your Ultimate Life with host Kellen Flukiger. Stand with your heart in the sky and your feet.